Turn to Ephesians 4. I will read verses 17 through 24. Uh, Last week we studied verses 17 through 19. This week uh, and next week we'll focus more on verses 20 through 24. But I want us to see all of them together. So Ephesians 4. 17 through 24. Follow as I read. This is the Word of God. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. So uh, these eight verses serve as an introduction to the rest of the book of Ephesians. Uh, We get a framework here in these verses that we'll be filling in for the rest of chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Just a bit of recap for those that weren't here from verses 17 through 19. At the beginning of verse 17, uh, Paul reminds us that this is not just Paul writing. This I say and testify in the Lord. And Paul reminds us of this throughout his New Testament letters. He writes in the name and authority of the Lord. This is God speaking through Paul's writing. Not just Paul, through the entirety of the Scriptures. So what's God saying? In verse 1, we were urged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And in verse 17, we're charged that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Or uh, you could say, no longer walk as the unbelieving world. We've been called out of the world into Christ. Therefore, we live not as the world lives. We live in the world, not of the world. How is the unbelieving world described as living? Uh, It says, in the futility of their minds. Many of us can relate and remember a time not so long ago when we were trapped in these same cycles. But the futility of their minds, trapped in these cycles of not being able to get where they're trying to go. Uh, Futility, unable to reach the desired end. The unbelieving world thinks it is enlightened, thinks it is on the path to greater knowledge and understanding. On the contrary, in verse 18, Paul says that far from being enlightened, actually darkened in their understanding, disconnected from reality. They don't understand the way that things actually are. You know, as I think about my um, high school, college years, it's a great description. And all because the text says, They have hardened their hearts to God, alienating themselves from the one true God who has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Uh, In Him alone is true life and light and reason and truth and cohesion. All things come together in Him. Everything apart from Him falls apart. So uh, hardening their hearts to God, wandering around in this futility of mind, darkening their understanding, giving themselves over to all kinds of sins of pleasure, greedy to practice all kinds of sin, it says. This is the unbelieving world as God sees it. 
The heart grows harder and harder to him. People further alienate themselves from him and go looking to fill all of these desires in our hearts in the things of this world. But he is the fountain of all of the things that we're looking for. So, wandering around looking for them elsewhere, it's the height of futility. Far from enlightenment, it is darkened understanding. We pick up there in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So, think about, I mean, uh, these people are from Ephesus, which was just crazy immorality and pagan lifestyle and the, the history where they came to Christ. I mean, that's, you know, the, the temple of... Uh, Artemis, you know, they just, it's like the way that they would worship is through prostitution. I mean, that was just kind of a cultural thing. And uh, come worship our God by having sex with these women. And, you know, they were the priestesses of, of the God of pleasure, I guess. And so think about, you know, that's the background. He's saying this is our former way of life. But he's saying this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, to be renewed in your minds, to put on the new self. So the first thing I want us to notice here is that the Christian life is directly opposed to the unbelieving world. There are three clear differences that jump out to me in our passage. Number one, the, um, the unbelieving world is described as hardening their hearts to God and alienating themselves from God, uh, moving further and further away. From him, on the other hand, Christians are here pictured as in submission to Jesus, having drawn near to him, uh, hearing about him, learning in him, being taught in him. The second difference, the unbelieving world is described as living in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. On the other hand, Christians are said to be on this path of the renewal of the mind uh, in Christ. In Colossians 3, talking about the same thing, Paul says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And the third difference, uh, the unbelieving world giving itself over to all kinds of sins of pleasure, greedy to practice sin. On the other hand, Christians are those who recognize sin as sin and recognize that all of us are deeply sinful. We know that our desires can't be trusted to lead us. In fact, we have desires that deceive us and corrupt us. So we renounce ourselves and we put on Christ. Through Him alone do we learn what is true and right and good. The next thing I want us to see or to think about is that there are really two different aspects to this putting off and putting on. Uh, there is an initial putting off of the old and putting on of the new, and then there is an ongoing putting off the old, putting on the new. So on the one hand, um, the initial putting off of the old self and putting on the new self is, um, it's like in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's a done deal. It's a fact. I died, He now lives. Uh, this is this initial putting off, putting on is another way we say it is when someone was converted. When we were born again, the old self dies, the new self comes to life. On the other hand, uh, there is an ongoing putting off and putting on. So in one sense, the old self is dead, 
Uh, We've had a fundamental change in our identity. We are in Christ. But the process of learning to live in light of our new identity in Christ takes a lifetime. It's an ongoing process. And that's really the main thrust of this passage in Ephesians. Uh, In this section, Paul is talking about our Christian walk. Verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Verse 17, no longer walk as the unbelieving world walks. So our walk is ongoing, right? As we uh, walk in putting off the old and walk in renewing our minds and walk in putting on the new. Now, before we get into the specifics of that, uh, of the text, I want to say this. Uh, This ongoing process of putting off the old and putting on the new is extremely difficult for any Christian. But it is impossible for someone who has not had that initial putting off and putting on. So think about it in terms of repentance, turning away from sin, turning to God. Uh, The Christian walk is a walk of ongoing repentance over and over again, turning from our sin, turning to Christ and walking in His ways. Uh, But you get into that life of ongoing repentance through the initial act of repentance and faith. So I think, in my observation, some people in the church find it impossible to walk in this ongoing putting off and putting on. It's just too much to bear. It can't doesn't seem it can be done because there has never actually been the initial putting off and putting on. There has never been this initial total renouncing of self and uh, putting on Christ. In other words, there are people in church, I think many people, I think especially in the Bible Belt, who are not truly converted. Um, Some of these folks might have been in church a long time, some just a short time. It's impossible to piece anything together in this ongoing walk of repentance and faith because there's never been this initial act of repentance and faith. So what is the difference from our vantage point as far as we can see? Um, The initial putting off of self and putting on Christ, putting on the new self, is an all-encompassing surrender. It it looks like a wholehearted giving over of self to Christ. So, I see that I'm a sinner, Lord. I see that my sin has earned me eternal condemnation. I see that I could never do enough to earn my way, work my way out of this mess. Uh, I see that You have done enough in Christ to get me out. You lived in my place. You, you died for my sins. I believe that Your life and Your death is sufficient for me. I believe what You said. It is finished. All of my sins have been paid for. I believe You came to rescue me from my sin and bring me back to God. I believe there's no other way to be reconciled to God but by You. But here's the kicker. What does belief look like in real life? It looks like wholehearted surrender. It looks like not only believing in Jesus as Savior, but giving oneself completely to Jesus as Lord and Master. I am your slave, Lord Jesus. You are my Master. My life is yours. Do with it as you please. So I think there are a lot of people in church in this region uh, who agree with everything about Jesus as Savior. God is holy. I'm a sinner. That causes a big problem. 
Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who solves the problem. But what does true faith in Jesus look like? It looks like wholehearted surrender. I'm your slave. You're my master. My life is yours. Do with it as you please. True belief and true repentance are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. Um, Those who truly believe renounce self in that initial act of repentance and faith, that wholehearted surrender to Jesus Christ, and then go on in this ongoing repentance and faith. So again, I think many in church, many in this church, even perhaps some in this class, who conceptually believe that Jesus is Savior, but have not given themselves over to Jesus as Lord, and you can't have one without the other. Um, So what we end up with are a lot of people who try to enter into a relationship with Jesus more as a therapist than as Lord and Savior. You know, maybe Jesus can help my problems. And to that I would say, He can. Um, But there is no help to be had in Him apart from complete surrender of your life to Him. You're my master. I'm your slave. Have my life and do with it as you please. So if there is someone in here that that resonates with, uh, and you're thinking, you know, even though I've been around and even though I do agree with those things, uh, but I haven't yet surrendered my life to him, I would just simply say it's never too late or it's not too late now. One day it will be, but the door is still open. His grace is still the same. It's still sufficient. Your sins completely credited to him. His righteousness completely credited to you. Uh, let the reins go and, and abandon yourself to Him. Put off the old self. Put on the new. So, this ongoing walk is impossible for someone who has not had that initial putting off and putting on. And then once we become Christians, uh, there is an ongoing putting off and putting on. So on the one hand, we have died. Christ now lives in us. Our fundamental identity has changed. On the other hand, um, though we have come to life by the power of the Spirit in Christ, we still have a sinful nature, a sinful flesh. We have an old self. We have a new self. I don't think it's technically correct to say that we are uh, two people, but the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing kind of works for me. It just makes sense. You know, we got like... I mean, part of us that's very much in line with the Lord and part of us that's very much not. Um, Another way to think about it is that, uh, and I've said this, but repentance and faith is not a one-time deal, um, this ongoing thing. And we're probably just going to talk about putting off the old today, uh, a little bit of renewing the mind, and then next week we'll talk more about renewing the mind and putting on the new. I really hate to separate them because they're not separate issues. Uh, They're distinct, but they're not separate. These issues combine to give us an in-depth look in our sanctification. That's a big Bible word if you don't know what it means for uh, growth in godliness or growth in the Christian life. Uh, The Puritans way back a long time ago called it mortification and vivification. Mortification is killing sin, putting off the old, Vivification, living a holy life, putting on the new. Renewing the mind is the constant work of both. Uh, You don't have either without the renewal of the mind. All of this part of our 
Sanctification. So that's enough ifications. Uh, putting off the old self. Uh, let's talk about that. We see in our text that the old self belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So there are things that we used to be about. Uh, ways we used to think. Things we used to do. Tiffany told me this week that this was her favorite passage as a new Christian because it was just so clear to her at that point in her life, these things I used to be about, I'm not going to be about those things anymore. There are new things that I need to be about. Um, Anyway, though we've had some measure of renewal in our mind and we see that these things are sinful, uh, they're still a part of us. There's still that capacity for the old way living inside of us. Thus, the need to every day, all the time, be putting off the old self. We have to stay after it because it will stay after us. As John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So this really takes us to a deeper layer where we can do deeper, uh, more important work. Our sinful lives aren't just a bunch of sinful actions. It's sinful actions that are bred and led by our sinful, deceitful desires. And if we're going to make any headway in putting off the old self, uh, we have to do work at that level in our desires. We can't just cut off the rotten fruit. We have to get to the bad roots that produce the rotten fruit. Deceitful desires. Now, uh, earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, Paul talked about deceitful schemes. He says, you know, in this growth and maturity, uh, so that we grow to maturity, so we no longer be tossed to and fro by these false teachings and by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's talking about the schemes of the devil. Satan and his servants are scheming in the world through people, through false teaching, to lead the world astray, uh, trying to lead the church astray. Those are deceitful schemes. Then here in verse 22, he's talking about deceitful desires. So deceitful schemes originate from the devil. Deceitful desires originate from inside of us. We have an enemy outside of us, the devil, in conjunction with the world. And we have an enemy within us, the old self, the sin nature, the flesh, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. So there's part of us that loves the things of God. Those of us who are Christians, there is a part of us that loves the things of God. In fact, I don't even like to say that's just part of us. It's who we are. It's our new selves. That's where we place our identity. We are in Christ. But there is still a part of us that hates the things of God. And this is extremely important to know as we try to fight through the Christian life. It is a fight. It's our desire to be renewed in our minds, to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Yet, we need to know that Satan is not the only one trying to stop that. The enemy inside of us is fighting to stop that as well. So if we're going to move forward in our growth and godliness, the the first thing we need to understand about ourselves is that there is a part of us that is deceiving us. There's a part of us that's just wrong all the time. Part of us that is always working against us in where we're trying to go. So let's put some legs on it. Um, Practically speaking, what does it look like to 
be putting off the old self. I have a question for you. A minute ago I said both putting off and putting on involve the renewal of the mind. Well, what is the primary way that our minds are renewed? God's Word. So there is no possible continual putting off and putting on without the continual renewal of the mind in the Word of God. Assuming that then, uh, the first step in putting off the old is whatever God says in His Word to get rid of, get rid of. Regardless of how you feel about those things. We all have these deceitful desires in our flesh that corrupt us and, you know, they're deceitful. We can't trust our feelings. Whatever God's Word reveals as sin, we have to fight to get rid of it. Uh, A few examples that I think are relevant to our group today would be drunkenness, sexual immorality in any form, whether uh, the overt kind in a relationship or pornography or whatever, Uh, greed, love of money, gossip. I mean, these things are clearly condemned in the Scriptures, and so regardless of how we feel about them, we see very objectively that they're condemned, so we do whatever it takes to get rid of them. I talk about her often, probably because I don't think there's a better example uh, than, than her in this, but Rosaria Butterfield, one of the reasons I loved her book, Secret Thoughts, so much is because how solid the view in sanctification is. Uh, so she read the Bible over and over again. She was a homosexual professor, uh, radical feminist woman. She read the Bible over and over again. That's how she came to know Christ. And, and she came to see that her homosexuality was condemned in the Scriptures. She came to see that there was grace for forgiveness, that Jesus paid for all of her sins, but she also came to see that there was necessary repentance. She knew that in order to truly follow Jesus, she had to repent of her homosexuality. And the way that she describes that process is really helpful to us, no matter what our sin is. Um, She describes seeing in the Scriptures very objectively... Uh, just hold it out front, there it is, that her homosexuality was a sin. But at the desire level, she still felt completely, 100%, homosexual. She did not feel like anything was wrong with homosexuality. But she had been given eyes to see the truth, and she was seeing that it was sin. So she repented of her sin, even though it didn't feel sinful. Her exact words were, it felt like life... Plain and simple. So it is for us. Whatever it is. It may not feel like uh, sin. It may feel like life. Plain and simple. But we've been given eyes to see the fact that it is sin. So we repent, putting off the old self. uh, Putting our sin to death. Regardless of how we feel. We don't follow our feelings. We know that we have deceitful desires. We discipline our feelings to follow the truth. Now, um, we have blind spots, lots of them, all of us, no matter where we are in our journey. So even if meditating in the Scriptures daily, our sin can still remain hidden from us, uh, especially at the desire level because they're deceitful desires and they deceive us. So after repenting of the sin that we see objectively in the Scriptures is sin, another important step in killing sin is regularly, daily, asking God to expose our sin, and not only our sinful actions, but also our sinful, deceitful 
desires. So turn to Psalm 139. Some major ammunition here in the fight. I would say mark these verses in your Bible. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Highlight them, color them, uh, whatever you got to do. But make it, let's make it our daily prayer. Every time we sit down to read the Scriptures, um, let's make this one of the things that we are after. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, or test me, and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Notice that these are all exclamations. This is a plea. There is urgency. Show me what's in my heart. Lord, expose me. Show me my sin. Show me my sinful actions. Show me my deceitful desires and lead me in the paths of life. I'll be honest with you, that's a scary prayer. Uh, He will expose you. He exposes those that He loves. But much scarier is being led by sinful desires that lead us into corruption and destruction. I would say He won't always expose us right there in the moment, uh, but in His time. You make that your daily prayer. He will expose you. He'll peel back another layer to show you more of the ugly and let me tell you, I think the more that we grow, the more that we mature, the more we're going to see it. Um, don't be surprised when the, when the next layer gets peeled back and it's even uglier than you could have ever imagined. So that we continue in repentance and faith all the way home. That's how we get in. That's how we get home. Um, briefly, I was talking with a good friend of mine that I work with this week. And I was actually talking very favorably about someone that's been really important in my life. And I made the statement about him. Uh, he taught me so much about what it looks like just to live in joyful service to the Lord. I made the statement, but he didn't really have very airtight theology. you know. And uh, I didn't think twice about it. But my friend wrote me an email later that was obviously prayerfully... Considered. This is back to the whole speaking the truth in love. We talked about that a few verses ago in Ephesians. And he was basically saying, do you think you have airtight theology? You know what theology is, is the study of God. So he said, you think you got God figured out? You, know? <laughs> you think that's airtight? And uh, point taken. No, I don't. And yet, I know what I was trying to say, and I'll tell you what happens immediately. When those places start to be exposed, everything in the flesh is firing in self-defense. Everything. I hate to be exposed. And so it's all of a sudden, you know, my inner lawyer goes to work and I'm thinking of all these justifications for what I was doing. But over time, that was a very helpful exposing of pride, one of those deceitful desires that honestly was undetected at that point in my life. But back to the whole corporate thing, speaking the truth in love, I mean, you're like, what's the big deal? Well, deceitful desires that corrupt and destroy. You know, like the flesh isn't after just kind of making things hard. It's after 
killing us and derailing us and destroying us. And so it's just an example, uh, even this week. You know, the interesting thing about teaching these passages is quite often the Lord will make you learn something of them in order to teach them faithfully. And uh, that's humbling. Again, as John Owen once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Put off the old self. Next week we'll talk more about putting on the new. But two practical ways that I've just given you to be putting off the old self both involve the continual renewing of our mind in the Word of God. Number one, whatever we see as objectively sinful in the Scriptures, we have to kill it, no matter how we feel about it. Number two, understanding that there is much that we won't see, make it our daily prayer, Psalm 139. Search me, know me, Show me my sin. Lead me in the paths of life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so much more deeply sinful than we've ever felt and seen. And we're thankful for that. It it would be too much for us. Um, But Lord, we're thankful for your grace in exposing our sin. That is exactly what it is. Showing our sin to initially come to Christ, showing our sin to return over and over again to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ who paid for all of our sins. Uh, Lord, continue to expose us, continue to show us our sin so that we can be refreshed in your grace and remembering that this is all about Jesus. And also, Lord, so that we might be uh, getting rid of the sin that clings so closely in our flesh. Uh, Give us a holy concern to be putting off the old self and putting on the new. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a few minutes for thoughts, questions. Jeff. Um, One one comment. Uh, Yesterday, Karen Jordan sent out an email to Grace Online where this book by Rosario Butterfield is available for free as a download. Audio book, I saw that. Audio book, yep. and uh, Sue and I have both read it. We, we also highly recommend it. If you are not on Grace Online, one I recommend that you do. Uh, you can still delete you know, people selling used underwear and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and that does happen. But um, uh, if you did not get that email and you would like it, I, I would love to send that to you. So uh, you know, give me your email address. I'd love to send it to you, or Chris can. So. Yeah. Anyway. That'd be good. Anyone else? Putting off the old. You know, Chris, something Andy and I have been talking about is, you know, as you see the sanctification, I go back to, I'll never forget my junior year of college, talking to a friend. I'd become a Christian two years earlier. And after RUF one night, there was a lot of us sitting around talking. And I just remember crying, thinking, you know, talking about sin that I'd seen in myself the last year. And I said, Sometimes I get scared, and I'm like, was I even a Christian last year? Mm-hmm. Brian Sorgan probably looked at me, and he said, that is the prayer of a Christian, because sanctification, we should be saying that every year of our mm-hmm. life, and that should be an encouraging thing instead of a discouraging thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm constantly reminded of that, you know, just as Andy and I talked about Grace Gumbo after we had coal, we just hit this stagnant point in our life. And I can remember being a little afraid, thinking, I haven't really seen mm-hmm. a lot of exposure to sin and I haven't seen myself like wanting to change and grow and learn so I think this is a very important thing that we are constantly doing this constantly talking with you know family friends spouse mm-hmm. about 
what we see and how we're changing, and it should be an encouraging thing, like you're saying, mm -hmm. the scripture. So anyway, that was just an encouragement that if you do see the sin, you are being sanctified. Don't mm -hmm. discourage you, but let it encourage you that the Holy Spirit is working in the life. So that's just that is good. Last week we had those it's pretty counterintuitive too that you think. <laughs> What is it? How is it encouraging to see sin? Well, you know, two things that always come to my mind. In Hebrews, it says that the Father disciplines only those that He loves. And so, if there is discipline being received from the Father in heaven, like that is a sure sign. And there's concern over your sin, and, and you're exposed and crushed by it. And, you know, that's a good sign. And another passage in Revelation 3, one translation I was reading, Jesus saying, I ex those that I love, I expose and educate. And I'm telling you, any time, like the time I described, I remember that. Because it wraps His exposing us in a context of love and grace. That's what it is. is I love you so much, I won't let you persist in following these deceitful desires. I'm going to show them to you. Um, and ultimately, you know, these things, we, the opportunity is that these things lead us back again and again to... His sufficiency, uh, His sinlessness, His sacrifice for us. So we'll talk more about that next week. But good word. Anyone else? I think the flip side of that is that we then, like a lot of times, we see it in others, and so we start to feel falsely better about yeah. ourselves than we should. And so I think it's good to remember, you know, that needs to be not that you can't see it in other people or that, that mm -hmm. can't help you but you get too consumed in seeing it in other people it yeah. makes it very hard to see it in yourself you know the whole uh why are you concerned about the speck in their eye when you have a log in yours and jesus said that and uh it's fun you go to get the speck out and you hit them with your log you know but the that's not only a good general principle but it's a good like day-to-day -day principle particularly if seeing sin in someone else. I'm noticing sin here. It's pretty clear to me, even though it's a speck, it's like on the white of the eye and I can see it pretty good, you know. And uh, But that's like a good reminder to go back and deal with whatever log is in yours. And th those are a lot harder to see. A lot harder to see. Our own sin. Chris, I want to say just one thing. I've, this has been a great today. I have paid attention the whole time, so there's my question. You're the only one. I have classic ADHD folks. Yeah. My wife and all the ladies in my office. Yeah, that's right. Straight, but I have paid attention the whole time. I wrote myself several texts. Um, you must have had plenty of coffee. Once. So I just want to say a positive thing besides I was able to pay attention to it. Uh, I think for me as I grow in my Christian walk, what I'm most encouraged about is the undescribable richness of friendships um, and it's just it's just amazing I really do like learning about people but in the Christian context you know how deep that goes and, and how incredibly uh, just uh, just more than I can explain that the appreciation of, of walking into a new church and, and then finding friends and the other thing is I will fully want to be completely transparent with the people I get the closest to. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a good sounds like pat myself on the back. So when you find yourself, that's a better way to put it, when you find yourself seeking out other people and just just yearning to be 
my statement is, well, in complete transparency, this is how I'm feeling, you know, but I, I seek that out and found that with several men um, that uh, I just can't wait till tomorrow mm -hmm. as opposed to me uh, having conversations with people and guarding what I share sometimes or making sure that someone doesn't get so close so they don't know about my sin, you know, um, wanting to share that with other people. Yeah. So, anyway. That's good. As you're talking, something that I'm thinking about is, you know, we are collectively together the light of the world. God's people in community, the light of the world. Um, now, that can be said and be true about individuals too. Uh, we, have, we all have the light of Christ. But, you know, the light over there alone or the light gathered together, which is brighter. And I think just as an offensive-minded pursuit, that intentional being knowing and being known in, in a community this size, in a church larger, even in smaller settings, just seeking out people that you think you can maybe trust one day. And, uh, you know, the more that you're just walking alongside others, the easier it is to see because the light's brighter and the light shines and you're like, you know, oh, there's still stuff there, but... That's definitely a way in which I think God, you know, you're putting on the new self. And one thing I've learned, I've only learned one thing, and that's uh, that's we are not meant to do this thing alone, man, in any way whatsoever. Yeah. God, God wants us to do this thing together, and you know, hashtag life together, I guess. But you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, in in our in our walk in our life, we've just. We've learned that we need we need we need Christians that are partnering together and praying, and and that's what fuels us to be able to minister to others and do what God calls us to do. Yeah. So that's definitely, I think, a, the hinge yeah. of putting on the new self. That's good. Anyone else? I just that really stood out to me. You said that she just said it was life. I mean. And it sounds funny, but something in particular, like whenever we watch TV, the verse about like whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is holy pops to my head. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I can decipher what that is. Like I can still watch this and be good. Mm. It's not going to rub off. But it's like, it's just, I'm, watching TV for me is life. But if God's whispering something, then wow, like to actually take action, even when it seems so innocent. Like, Okay, let me jump on that. Uh, and I was, I was... <laughs> Sure, I was. It's actually down here at the bottom, like highlighted. Like, am I going to use it this week or next week? Probably next week. But there's a passage in First Corinthians. He's talking about eating and drinking, and you know, should we eat meat offered to idols, or should we? And he's like, eat it. But then he says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith. So, and this is where. The Puritans are extremely helpful, and they get a bad rap, you know, Puritan, you know. But the, uh, their goal was to live with a clear conscience in all of life. And that means paying attention to those little things that may not be registering on someone else's conscience. Now, that doesn't mean if it's not registering on your conscience that your conscience is good. Our consciences get seared, they get muddied, but there are times when... Our consciences are going on something. Uh, another example would be alcohol. Is it bad? What are you talking about? Just like in and of itself, the, the, a glass of wine, is that a bad thing? You can't say that. 
Um, but is it right? It's a different question, and it, it's a case-by-case basis. What's your conscience doing? How, are you able to wholeheartedly, in faith, celebrate whatever it is that you're doing unto the Lord? And so the question that I think is great to ask yourself, with whatever it is, can I do this in prayerful worship to God? Whatever it is. Can I watch whatever it is in prayerful worship, celebration to God? Can I drink whatever it is in prayerful celebration to God? I mean, that's what it means. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And uh, can I do this unto the Lord? And it's a good point. And um, I think it would be immature of us to say, Oh, girl, that's fine. You know, we're not legalists around here. And uh, it's, not, it's not legalism. It's good to pay attention to your conscience, you know. So do that and whatever those things. And you, again, you know, you just ruined everybody's week because now... Uh, <laughs> yeah. But now, are there things that uh, can be watched that are sketchy and suspect and they can be watched unto the Lord? Well, yeah. Depends on what we're talking about. I mean, The Bachelor? No. But, uh, you know, other than that, maybe. Uh, it, I'm not your conscience. I, I let God be, you know, we, we can't be other people's consciences. Um, and yet, if we're going to be serious about putting off, putting on, then we have to pay attention to our conscience in these areas that are not like there's not a verse. Don't watch that. So. All right, that's all. Have a good week. <laughs>